Hey. Yes. Refuge, how we doing? Decent best. How's that extra hour or less hour of sleep treating you? Is everybody, is everybody pretty tired? I feel exhausted. Like, you might as well just take in my entire night and just blew it up. Um, so, uh, speaking of, of this wonderful thing called Daylight Savings, did anybody, like, wake up late to go to church this morning? Is anybody, like, late going to church? Like, is anybody, like, like oh, my gosh, like, I got to get, get there now. Did everybody remember to set their clocks forward? Everybody remember? Anybody not remember to do that? Anybody feel like free? Yes. Yeah, of course. Jeff, Jeff came to me this afternoon and said, he's like, I still forgot it was Daylight Savings Time. <laughs> A full 24-hour cycle. It's fantastic. So, but um, anyways, so uh, we're going to finish. We're going to continue talking through Timothy or Second Timothy, chapter one. Let me ask you guys a question: How many of you guys have ever been stressed before? Raise your hand if you've been stressed. Okay, Matt, have you never been stressed before? What's your secret? You've been. You've never been stressed before. Oh, okay. Usually, I, I, I don't see midget hands. So, okay, let me, uh, what, anybody, anybody ever not been stressed? Anybody ever not, like, everyone's like, man, I'm, okay, so everybody's been stressed at some point in time in your life. How many of you guys this week took those proficiency exams? Didn't you guys have to do that this week? Some of y'all upperclassmen had to uh, take some sort of proficiency exam to make sure that you passed high school. I had to take those in Alabama. But I think I had to get like a 50% on there to pass. Like that was the, talk about the bottom of the barrel, guys. So it was awesome. But, but for some of us, that gets pretty stressful. I remember, I remember I went, when I was going to school, um, I was, uh, when I was in college, I was doing this thing. I was, I was in a, the, the music program. At the end of every single semester, we had to do these things called juries. Okay? And, and if that's not, I mean, like, it was scary. Because, like, your whole entire, basically, you're singing for that semester. In order to go on the next level, you had to pass like a, a, a jury. And they couldn't have called it anything more horrifying than jury. You know, it's like, it's, so it's like, it's like, here's your jury. And so you had to, you had to, what you had to do is you go, you go in this dark, dark auditorium and these, and these professors are like lining the front row and they don't talk to you. It's, they're not smiling. They're not like, oh, hey, good to see you today. What you do is like you walk in this room and you, and you give them this piece of paper and then they just, and you just start singing. Like that's all, and you just start singing. And then like when you, when you, you're like, oh, and you know, and like when you sing and then you get done singing and then what happens is they don't, there's no applause. There's, they're not, they're not like, oh, great job. They're nothing. Complete and utter silence. And you just sit there and they just go, thank you. And they just start writing notes about you. And you're just like, what? You know, and like, and you're, you're like freaking out. And then, and then like, they like, then they call out, they give like this like list of like 20 songs that you can sing. And they're like, okay, sing this song. And then you sing that song. And then afterwards they just, then they, there's no clapping after that song either. They just say, thank you. Have a good day. And like, and you leave and like, you have no idea that they're just emotionless people in this room. They're evil. No, they're great people. So but I remember, I remember after college, I, 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 when I got done with all that, because it was like I, all through college, I worked two jobs, and I went to school full-time and all this stuff, and it was just, it was just crazy. And I told myself after school, I was like, I was like I'm never going to get that stressed out again. I'm never going to get so busy. I'm never going to do that. But sure enough, right after college, I just start working, and I start working again, and I just completely fill up my day. Because my kind of personality is, is one that, man, I, I love to just cram as much stuff as I can into like one day. 
to like the point it just stresses me out. When I like, when I look at my calendar and I like, I'm thumbing through my iCal and I see like my full schedule, I'm like, oh man, I'm so important. Not really. But like, you know, like I, I, that's just me. Like I love that. And like some of us, do we do the same thing too? We may not be that kind of personality where we like full schedules, but you and I, we just, we, we cram so much stuff into our, our lives that it just stresses us out, that we get so busy with so many things that it just is, it just completely just wrecks us. And for so some of us, our stress doesn't come from us being so busy. Our stress comes from us just not prioritizing well. For some of us, it's, it's not a matter of, man, I'm trying to fit as much stuff as, as I can into my day. For some of us, it's just we, <laughs> we, we just spend our time in the wrong ways. You know, it's like when we watch Netflix, you can't just watch an episode of anything. Like, you can't just do that. Like, you have to watch the entire season in a day, right? You know, you have to do that, you know. There's four seasons of Breaking Bad I got to catch up with, you know. Like, and so, you know, you can't just watch one. You got to watch all of them, you know. And so... And then we, we realize we just spent the whole week in doing that, and we have, you know, four hours to do a project that's due on Monday, and we're like, oh, and we get stressed out. Anybody do that, like, as of recently? I know, like, I see your, I see your tweets about, like, you know, like, oh, Breaking Bad is awesome. I've never seen it. So and if you tell me how awesome the show is, I might punch you in the face, because every person in the world is like, this show is so awesome, and so I won't, I won't hurt you. Uh, but, but we stress ourselves out, and... and, and We've become a part of this culture now where stress is like this badge of honor, where, where busyness is like this, this medal that we wear, where we're all kind of very stressed, very high-strung people that, that it's normal for us to be busy. It's normal for us to be stressed out. It's more normal for us to pack everything into our day, and that shows us that we're validated, that we're important, that we have value when people look at us and say, man, that person's busy. That means that person's important. That person is stressed out. That means that they're the normal flow. But when we read the Bible, we, re- we see something that's so very different than that. We don't see... God calling you to cram as much stuff as you can into one day to try to fit all this stuff into a week or try to free, and have you go out for every single sport that's available and do every single act, after school activity or for you to misprioritize your time that you just become so overburdened and so stressed out. Like, but God looks at us and he's like, man, you're crazy if you think that your life is supposed to be lived in this stress-filled way when it's not. It's not normal. God does not say stress is normal even though in our culture it is. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And in this, in this book here, we see a person named Paul who's talking to a very stressed out pastor. Timothy has this church and there's a lot of things that are going on that we'll, we'll see here later on. But he, 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 he wants to encourage Timothy who's, who's very stressed out. There's a lot of stuff on his plate. And, and so this is what he says. I want you guys to follow along in your Bibles with me. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And he says this. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The first thing that Paul says to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, listen, man, I know you're stressed out. I know things are crazy for you, but let's just take a, a trip down memory lane here for just a moment. He says, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about that moment in your life when you, when you, when you realized 
who you were in Christ. He goes, think about your grandmother Lois and, and, and her relationship to God because Lois was somebody who came to Christ later on in life and then Lois later taught her daughter Eunice that same thing and he said, remember your, your mother, she raised you in this way. You were a young kid and so you learned these principles about God from a young age but there came a point in your life where you realized that it wasn't about doctrines, creeds, information and facts that it was about a real and honest, true relationship with this person called Jesus and you said, okay, God, I, I need this relationship with you, that you, you, you realize, Timothy, that, that you came to the point where you realize, I have nothing to give and offer my relationship with Christ. I can't make myself more holy. I can't be good enough that I am desperate for this person called Jesus. And so Paul says, Timothy, I want you to remember that moment that you gave your life to him. That you basically, that you said, man, I, there is nothing good in me. And all the good that is in me comes from the person of Jesus. And you recognize his sacrifice for you. And you called upon his name. And he rescued you from darkness into light. He goes, remember what it was like when God opened your eyes and told you and saw your depravity. And he says, remember what that, what that was like for you. Remember that moment that you exchanged your life for his. That it became real for you. That was more than just facts and information in a book with pages and letters in it. That it became life to you. He says, I want you to remember that. He says, I want you to remember that, that it was real to you. And that this moment that, that, that you exchanged your life, that you said, my life is no longer mine. I'm not just taking on what Christ did for me and, and taking my sins. But I am giving him my entire life and saying, God, you have my whole life. You have all of it. You have complete control with my heart, with my mind, and with my soul. You have every single bit of it. He says, Paul says, do you remember that? Do you remember that moment? And that spirit of God came into you. That God put his spirit of life inside of you as a sign and as a seal, and as a reminder to you to say that you belong to this family of God, that you belong to Jesus. Paul says, Timothy, do you remember what that was like? Don't be stressed. Remember what it was like when you first realized that, that you could give your life to Jesus and he could give you life in return. So he says, do you remember this? And he says, that was, that was such a great part of your life. But he goes, Man, it didn't stop there. It, that wasn't it. That wasn't the climax of the moment. He says that because that you have this relationship and you made a decision to follow Jesus, it wasn't time to throw your hands back and just lean back in your chair and say, okay, that's it. It's just, it's just clean coasting from here to the end of my life because now I have Jesus. And so now I'm just going to sit back and just let it go. He didn't say that. He said, Paul says, listen, Timothy, here's what you need to do. He says, you need to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, listen, this spirit of God that dwells inside of you, that spirit is a gift. That spirit of God is not just something that God just kind of frivolously gives away to people. But he says, this is my gift. This is my sign to you that I'm going all in with you. We talked about this a few months ago and we said that that, that that spirit of God is a sign that God really does care for you. That it's more than just him saying, hey, I love you. But he says, I'm going to give you my actual spirit. My life is going to dwell in you. And, and Paul says, salvation was a great moment in your life, but it's not the only moment in your life. And that you have to see that you are walking this journey. That there is more than just that moment of salvation where you make a decision to follow God. But it is that whole life afterwards that it requires you to fan into flame, to cultivate that life with God. 
And for many of us, we don't see it as this. And I have some firewood over here that I bought from Smith's because that's where you get the best firewood. Also, I didn't want to be that person. I, I didn't. I want to go to Fresh and Easy, but I didn't want to be the person to call Fresh and Easy to go, hey, do you guys have firewood? And then show up five minutes later and buy the firewood. And then somebody at the counter would be like, are you that guy that called about firewood? But like, yeah, I was the guy that called about firewood. No. <laughs> I don't know if I'm so self-conscious about that, but I, personally I am. But, but Paul says, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be. He says, just like a fire is something that's supposed to be kept and fanned the flame, he goes, you're supposed to cultivate and do this. But for many of us, we treat it kind of something more like this, where, where we kind of, it's something that we can, we can, like a suitcase or a piece of luggage that we can at times just, just pick up and just take it with us. And then when we're not doing it with it, we're not, we're not using it, we just kind of, all right, I'll just put it right there, you know, and it's done, it's over with. So whenever we have refuge, it's, oh, it's time to get spiritual. Okay, so now I got this with me. So I got the Spirit of God. This is me right here. Me and the Spirit of God. We're good to go. And then we try, and when we ask God, it's like, man, I go to refuge every single week, and I go to camps, and I go to these things, and it feels like, man, it feels like God's there for a moment, and then I just, it's like it's gone. Or sometimes we think that we can just trick it into, into making us feel something. And so we take it with us and we pick it up and then we, and then we, we, we put it back and we question, we question God's presence, we question God's power in our life because we don't think that we have to cultivate or grow the Spirit of God inside of us. We just think it's something that we can pick off the shelf and put it back on whenever we want to. But that's not the way that Paul describes the Spirit of God inside of us. He said the Spirit of God inside of us is something like a fire that you've got to cultivate, that you've got to grow You've got to fan into flame. It's something that has meticulousness and care to it. It's not something that you can just pick up on the shelf and take with you and then put it back when you don't want to use it anymore. Because that's not the way to experience God because you will always end up with all these unsatisfactions in your life and you will be so disheartened every time you come to church if you see and view your Christian relationship as something that you can pick up off the shelf and carry with you wherever you go as opposed to something that you've got to develop and cultivate inside of you. Uh, for a long time, um, I was a part of this great organization called the Boy Scouts. Nerd alert. So, uh, I, uh, and I was in there for its entirety, okay? Kindergarten. I was a tiger cub, okay? All right. And then um, I went to Cub Scouts after that, and I became a bobcat, a wolf, a bear, a weeblow, a second-year weeblow. Then I went to my order of the Order of the Light Ceremony, or sorry, Arrow of Light Ceremony. Those of you guys, anybody here in Boy Scouts? You don't even know what I'm talking about. Where is Patrick at? When you, it's not that Patrick. But Patrick was also there too. And then I went to Boy Scouts to when I was a scout, a second class, a first class, a star, a life scout, and then finally, boom, Eagle Scout. All the way. All the way to the top. They told me it would help me out in life. I have yet to see that return. So, But uh, one of the things that, that you get to do, and I, I mean seriously, from the time I was five to the time I was 18, Boy Scouts all the way. And so... Uh, one of the things they teach you to do is how to build a fire. They teach you all the, all the parts. They teach you all the different ways to build a fire. There's all kinds. There's the A-frame. There's the log cabin. There's the lean-to. There's all kinds of ways to build a fire, okay? Rory, are you grinning at me? Are you like, you're like, Girl Scouts, I was like, what? No. So, uh, <laughs> and, and so 
there's things they taught us and they said, listen, that there's things that the fire needs. The fire needs oxygen to go that if you just go and throw a bunch of pine needles on a fire, it's going to smother it because it lacks oxygen. You need oxygen to grow a fire. And that wind is often detrimental to fire because the wind blows out the fire. And so for us in our life, I want us to kind of look through some things here that I'm going to draw some similarities between building a fire, what a fire looks like, and things that we should do to cultivate our relationship, to cultivate our growth in our relationship to God. And the first one is this. It's that first slide up there, guys. We must protect the fire. What I won't do. When I start a fire, there's, there's some things that I've got to do to protect it. One of the things they told us to do is that there's going to be times in our, that we, when we build fires that it's going to be way too windy to build a fire. That there's going to be wind coming and that you've got to do something to it. So what you would do is that you would take a larger log like this, okay? And that you would put some smaller logs on top of it like this. And you'd build a fire underneath this part. Can you see what I'm doing? Can you see this? When you go camping, you're going to be awesome next time, okay? Listen. <laughs> and you build a fire underneath here because what happens is when the wind comes and it blows this way, you can protect it. You don't, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go right here. Because here's what happens. The wind, if the fire is too small, the wind's going to blow that fire right out constantly over and over and over again. You're going to get so frustrated. But there comes a time when the wind actually will help the fire grow. But until the fire is strong enough, it will not grow to the point that it needs to be. And so you build a fire like this where the fire is underneath here and it grows. There's things in, in your and my life that we have to protect in our relationships with God. In our, that spirit inside of us. And there has to be things in our life that, see, that we say, listen, there's things that I will not do. That there are boundaries, that there are barriers, that there are things, there are parameters around my life that I will put in order that my life to ensure that I protect that spirit of God that is inside of me. And so the question I have for you is, are you careful with your life? Are there things in your life that your parameters you're putting around, you're saying, God, I will not do these things. I will guard what goes into my ears and into my brain. I will guard and I will be diligent to detect the ratings on movies and such. And that I will be careful to watch everything that I say. Because out of overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What parameters, what boundaries, what protection are we putting around our life to make sure that you and I can protect what is inside of us, this fire, this spirit of God that is in us? Because we come off each week, and if we don't change these bad habits in our life, and we try to expect this fire to grow... We cannot walk away from every camp, every mission trip or service or quiet time and try to live these things in our life with these bad habits that still grow in us. We will continually be dousing our fire in water if we continue to live with bad habits in our life. The second thing is stoke the fire, what I will always do. When the fire is going, there's, we have, you know, use another stick and you can prod some of the logs because if, if, if this log is burning too much from this side, this side needs to be turned. So you have to turn the log the other side so it burns evenly. Also, you can stir the coals to keep the fire warm, that it keeps it refreshed, that it keeps it going without having to add to it. So what the question is, what we will always do. I'm going to go through these real quick because I feel like they're very basic for us. But I want you to understand that there's some things in our life that we have to set out to say, we will always do these things. 
And it's this. It, this is the thing that we will always do. We will always spend time with God. And here's, 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 what I, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you go tomorrow and you open the Bible and you read, you know, John verse 1 and that's it. And you say, okay, I spent time with God today. The purpose and the intention behind us saying that you spend time with God is not so that you can get more intellectual about what you know about the Bible. Not the fact that, that Jesus feeds 5,000 people with two fish and a loaf of bread. That's great to know. But the purpose of spending time with Jesus every single day is not so that you become more intellectual about what the Bible says. It's so that you, your heart will change each and every morning. Because each and every morning we are setting our own path towards ourselves. We wake up every single day thinking about us, not thinking about, man, what, what can I do to serve God today? We have this, this innate selfishness inside of us that we don't have to teach ourselves. It's already there. Our, our time alone with God is simply for us to say, God, how can I get on board with what you're doing? How can I sync myself with you? That's the purpose of us spending time with God every single morning. It's not so that we can get more smart about the Bible. It's so that we can know, so we can know God better and so that he can change our hearts to look more and more like his. And so we can set off our days and say, God, okay, I'm ready for you. I'm giving myself over to you because I want you to use me. And the second thing is this, is that we must continually serve and not just in the context of every single weekend where we have opportunities like Hope for Kids and VIP. Those are great and those are awesome. But we're talking about every single day. We must continually choose and have opportunities to serve people around us. And that's always looking at people as better than yourself. That's always looking at people as saying, you are better than me. What can I do to serve you? We must continually disciple. For me, this is, I just, this is one of those ones that I just love. is because... You and I know that, listen, we can't do this alone. There's people in your life that need to know how far you are in your relationship with Christ and that need you to do that. I feel like this is something that, 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 that goes without saying that, listen, that, that without, being, with, without other people, you would not be where you are with your relationship with Christ. Why not share that with somebody else? Next thing is this, is that we should always live in community. And I'm not talking about just going on Sunday nights and sharing, you know, some good stories from the week. I'm talking about daily living out your life. We should continually live in community where we are using each other, that other people are sharpening us to help us look more and more like the person of Jesus. Last one is we should always give. We should always give. And I'm not just talking about money. This is a part of it than what we do at the end of the service. But I'm talking about for us, we should continually and always give of our time and of our talents and of our treasures what we say that you and I can give of our time that we can give freely of the things that we have these are the things that you and I do and you might be saying well Ben it sounds like there's a lot of things that I'm just giving to grow my fire yes that's how it works because the way that God works is not the way that the world works the way the world works tells you that when you give you lose but God says when you give you win when you start using your life for the value of others and start seeing others as being developed, as seeing others as, man, I want to see you grow and go from point A to point B, that I want to give my time to you, I want to give some of my treasure to you, that I want to give up my time, that I want to give up part of my morning so I can spend time with Jesus, that kind of stuff, that stokes, that grows the fire, that continually makes it, makes it grow bigger and stronger. That's how we keep it going. The third thing is this. We must add to the fire. What I will plan to do 
And as time goes on, as the fire goes, logs will continue to burn away, and so we have to add to it. We don't constantly add to it, but on occasion, we get to add another log to it. In this way, what are the things that we will plan to do in the future? And so some of the things that, 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 that for us that we do routinely, yearly, that we want you guys to be a part of are things like exposure, are things like camp, are things like mission activities that we do. Those are the things that we must continually plan on doing so that we can add to that fire, so that we can grow. We need those things in our life. Paul says this gift of God is something that must be fanned and attended to. This is not something that we just set ablaze and just leave it alone because that's often what we do. We just set it, we set it and we just let it go. We just leave it there and it's just done. It's over with. But Paul says you must continually fan into flame. Paul continues his statement and says this in verse 7. He says, he follows his statement. He says, not only must you fan into flame this gift of God by saying, but he also says that God has given you not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Paul is talking to us as well. And he says, listen, he says, I've given you something. He says, I says God has given you his spirit. That he's put inside of you. In the spirit of his, it has nothing to do with fear and timidity. He says his, his, God's spirit, when he puts that spirit inside of you, guess what does not exist in his spirit, in his presence? There is no fear. There is no timidity. He says that fear of all these things, he goes, that is not of God. That is not of his spirit. That is not of his presence. He says, so many, so many of us, we live out of this lifestyle of fear. We live a fear of failure. We live a fear of even success, of losing, of loneliness. We live in this fear of all kinds of things. And we're afraid to get outside of our box. We're scared to see what God can actually do when we go all in with everything. But he says, listen, the spirit of God is not a spirit of timidity and fear, but it is one of power. He says, you do not have the capacity to serve God for a lifetime. But God has given you through his power this, this, this life to grow, to live through. He says, but it is his power. Listen, guys, we need more than just strong will and desire to pursue God. We need his power to do that. We can't just be very strong-willed and decide and stand firm and say, okay, okay, no, this time is different. This time I'm going to choose to really go after God. And he says, it's not that it's going to work. It takes his power to do that. And God says he gives that to us through his spirit. That is ours to have. He says this spirit casts out this fear. This, this power casts out this doubt and this concern and this life of questioning but we're afraid to go all in. We're afraid to give it all over because we don't see that as being important. This is power is tethered to love. Listen, guys. You cannot post enough pictures of cutesy quotes on, the, on Facebook to understand what love is. Okay? I'm sure you guys see those every day, and I hate those things. Listen, we need to take our notion of love and completely throw it out the window. Because until we understand that laying down your life for your friend is what love is and not sending sweet texts and making out on the weekends, that is not what love is. 
Until we understand that real love is you literally laying down your life for someone else. That is what love is. And that kind of love does not come from us. That comes from God, and he puts that in us. And with this love, it produces a self-control in us. And the self-control that we have is not actually self-control at all, because self-control is an illusion. We cannot control ourselves. That self-control is strictly a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that God gives to us. Listen, guys, if you get anything from tonight, it is this. Everything that we do, everything that we are, is completely connected to our total dependency upon God. There is nothing good and there is nothing that we can create that is good enough inside of us to be strong enough to conquer sin and conquer fear and conquer doubt. There is nothing that is strong enough to love another person or another human being the right way that God can. There is nothing enough to control ourselves to be as disciplined as we need to be. There is none of that inside of us. Every single bit of that lies within the person of God and the person and the power of Jesus. And God gives that to us freely. He says, this is yours. You can have this. The last part is verse 8. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Just real quick, guys, listen. He says, Therefore, listen, when you and I are changed by, this, by, the, by the power of God, and we understand that our entire lives are not lived out of ourselves, but on completely on His Spirit and on His presence. And every moment we're asking God, God, I'm living my life through you. God, you are living your life through me. That I want to be, God, just so dependent upon you that you are changing me constantly. When we realize that our only hope of living is in the person of God, that we have to tell that to other people. We have to tell that to other people. It's not something that we can keep to ourselves. It's not something that for us alone. But when we really understand that true dependency comes from a relationship with God, that it's all based upon the person of Jesus, listen, guys, it's not something that's just for us. I've got to tell somebody else. Somebody else has to know about that. I've got friends, I've got people in my life that need to know that, listen, if my only hope is a person of Jesus, guess what? Your, their hope is the only person of Jesus, is, is only the person of Jesus as well. It's, there's nothing else. And we are on this sinking ship, guys, with, with, with the lifeboats in hand. And listen, if we don't tell people, we are letting them go. And listen, it's not offensive to tell somebody that there is a rescue in Jesus. It's not offensive to tell somebody there is hope. That's not offensive. That is a lie to say that that is offensive. It is not offensive to tell somebody that there is rescue in the person of Jesus, that there is hope in him as well. So I hope you guys, this next week, we have this invite event, that you and I will see that there is so much more important things than worrying about, am I going to offend somebody if if I invite them to come to church with me next week? The hope is too great, God. It is too much. Let me pray for us and uh, we'll be done. So you guys go ahead and bow your heads. The band's going to come up. God, we trust that tonight
And I pray right now that you would just stir in our hearts. God, somebody that we might know that doesn't know you. And I know that you've put them on our hearts right now. God, I pray that you would help us to see that person. God, give us the confidence. And God, help us to live out of the overflow of this power, the spirit of this life in you. It's not about what we can create, God. We cannot live out of our own resources or anything that we have. And it's completely and totally resting upon you.